0: The rest of us will be continuing in the Gospel of John. All right, now today we are uh, in another one of Jesus' famous encounters with potential followers. All right, so we already saw the interaction with Nicodemus, the powerful, the influential, the learned, the religious ruler. And if we have Nicodemus over on this side... Now we have someone from the completely opposite side of the spectrum, the woman at the well. A Samaritan woman who is outcast in every way we can imagine. Now as we come to this passage, why should we care about the woman at the well? We care because we see a a certain Savior, a certain Jesus, this one who moves close to those who are outcast and who are rejected because he himself is outcast and rejected, because he is humiliated in his incarnation. And he has this special love for those who are uh, living in the midst of their brokenness. If you are broken and you are rejected, this is the Christ that we want to find, who will meet us. We have this offer of, of living water, that a people who are parched, who are dying? Who are thirsty? Are offered this great gift of Jesus, and we see how Jesus can actually grant this to us and give us this gift if we will kind of connect to our need and our thirst and our the death that is in us without Him. So, with that, uh, we're going to look at first the uh, the context of incarnation and humiliation. That kind of Sets the stage for this story. Second, we're going to look at the offer of living water. And second and third, sorry, we're going to uncover like, the true thirst of the people of God and why they desperately need this living water from Jesus, their Savior. So let's look at John 4, verses 1 through 26. This is not the whole story. We're actually going to take this in two parts. So uh, this is just the first half of this story about the woman at the well. Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not have to be thirsty or have to come back to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to him to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one now you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him will worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that his Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Am he? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus' pursuit of the Samaritan woman. Would it guide us and would it remind us of his pursuit of us outcasts and rejects and, and sinners. And as we encounter Jesus, would we Receive the living water that would well up to eternal life. Lord, would you make us true worshipers that we'd worship in spirit and in truth, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so let's begin first with this setting that uh, sets the context for this relationship with this woman, which is one first of Jesus's incarnation and humiliation as he comes to a well in a Samaritan city at the heat of the day to meet her. Now when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. All right. So we see a certain Jesus in this context, even before he's encountered this woman, and he is in place of isolation and weakness. We think about that in Christmas. He's he's weak. He's humiliated. He is in place that he he ought not to be. He's around. He's surrounded by animals which ought not to be. But that's that's Jesus' whole life. His whole ministry. At this point, he is fleeing from the religious order because there's a target on his back. He's gained too much power and and influence in Judea, so he has to flee. Now, Judea is the the powerhouse. That is the place of the religious institution. That's where all the good people are. That's where all the, the true followers are, the dedicated ones that they may be in the presence of the Lord Jerusalem is there and all the religious leaders. All right, but he he has to leave there and go back to Galilee, which is kind of the backwaters country folk live in Galilee. Now, it was was populated a long time ago by Jews, so it was a Jewish country, but it was all the people who just weren't quite up to par. They had left Jerusalem and they were kind of second-class citizens in a sense. Now, to get there, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Right, we, have a, we have a map, actually. That's kind of, there we go. Hey, all right. All right, so he's in Judea, this orange block, and he needs to get to yellow Galilee. You guys can read maps. All right, good. Uh, and, all right, we have two options here. We can either cross the Jordan River, go there, uh, through Perea, through the Decapolis, and then get to Galilee. Why would we ever do that? We hate Samaria. All right. Samaria uh, is not just country Jews, okay? That's Galilee. Samaria is all the half-breeds. This is a foreign country as the Jews see it. So this Samaria used to be the northern Israel. It used to be the the native people, the people of the Jews. Uh, But when the Assyrians destroyed Israel, they exported most of the Jewish people and they imported a bunch of foreigners. And so what do you get? You get this amalgamation of the remaining Jews and true faith and all of the false religions of these idolatrous nations, and they've become one, creating this whole nation that is idolatrous, that is syncretistic. They've they've combined true religion with false religion. They have temples that are defiled, and these are the, the half-breeds and rejects of the Jewish community, so much so that sometimes, sometimes they would pass completely around so you didn't have to see a Samaritan. All right. Now, Jesus, he decided not to do that. He goes through this land of, of idolatry, this land of outcasts, and he finds himself at a well at the sixth hour. This is the 12 o'clock noon. And he is weary and he is tired and he is thirsty. Right. This is, this is our, our Savior. This is the, the Lord of the universe. Outcast in a land, weak and thirsty. He shouldn't be here except for he, he chooses to be here for the salvation of his people. For the pursuit, pursuit of those who are outcasts. Then he might go to those who are unclean and defiled. And there he meets a woman. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Alright, so what what do we think of a woman from Samaria? First, she is a woman. Alright, that's the first mark against her. In this culture, right, you, women are of little consequence. Uh, why bother talking to them, they're, they have no power, they have no importance, and most of the time, Jewish men stick to themselves. All right. But, this is a Samaritan woman. This is an unclean woman. All right, So the, the saying goes, from this time, that women, when they're menstruating, they're ceremonially unclean. And the saying about Samaritan woman was like, they are menstruating from birth. From birth to death, treat them like they are unclean. We never touch them. We never go near them. They're just walking uncleanness. And so, they, it, totally rejected by the Jews, especially by Jewish men. And so she is an outcast for being a woman, an outcast for being a Samaritan. And finally, she is completely alone drawing water at high noon, all right, That's a problem because in communal cultures, part of the culture is to go and get water, usually all of the women together. And that's still the case in communal cultures today. So I have, I have a friend actually, and he worked for an organization that built uh, water pump systems for rural, like, rural communities. And so the water was really far away, like like miles and miles. And it would pump the water to the communities. And what they sort of discovered was they were always breaking. The pump system was constantly getting destroyed. And they are wondering, okay, what, what is going on? Why is this such a horrible system? And they realized that women from the tribes were actively destroying the pumps. Why? Because they wanted to get all the women together, walk to get water, hang out, watch the children together, wash their stuff, get water, and like that's their morning ritual. That's what they did. All right, that's why we have a women's group or a mom's group. That's what they do. All right, it's needed. It's good. And uh, when did you do that? You did that in the morning because it's cool. It's the first thing you do. All the women get together. That's, what, that's their, their routine. This woman is going at the worst time of day all by herself because she is not welcome with the other women. She is a social outcast in a land of social outcasts as part of the sex of social outcasts. All right, she is the worst of the worst. And here she is, the social pariah with Jesus. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. All right, notice, like, this isn't Jesus being uppity. This is actually, like, a a grace that he would have any regard for her, that he would treat her as even present, but allowing her to to serve him and and touch the same things he will touch, to, to draw water that he would drink and she gets it as that. The Samaritan woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. All right, especially not food. Like, they don't, you're not share food with, that's gross. All right. And she sees it and she, she addresses it. That's the beauty of the woman at the well is she is very forthright in like, wait, you're not supposed to be doing this. And she dislikes those kind of people. He likes that they, she, they recognize the social convention is being broken and that gives him a chance to, to talk about it. All right. This may not seem like this huge deal that he's talking to this woman, asking her for water. It is. Everything in Jesus' life is, is humiliation and condescension that he might talk to this woman. And as we think about our lives... To the extent that we are outcasts, to the extent that we are outsiders, that we are pariahs, that we are weak or rejected, that we carry shame within us, that the world would condemn us, in this we should see a Savior that wants to draw near to us. These are the people that Jesus pursues and the people that Jesus moves towards. because he connects with those people and because they connect with the gospel they're ready to receive the things that Jesus is giving and not just letting them serve him what does he do he he takes it further and instead of just her serving him he says actually you should be so presumptuous as to have me serve you and so he offers this gift verse 10 Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If only you knew. You wouldn't just give me water. You would ask for me to give it back to you. All right, what is the gift of God? If only you knew the gift of God. This probably means the scriptures. So the Samaritans, they actually rejected Everything in the Old Testament except for the first five books, the Pentateuch. So he's basically like, eh, you, you don't know the extent of which there is this gift for you because you, you don't know the gift of God in Scripture. And you don't know that I'm the Messiah who can give it to you. But if you did, you'd be asking for living water. All right, think how different this is in, with, with Nicodemus. Right, Nicodemus came with all of this pride and and flourish, and he knows so much. Uh, this is Jesus with a woman who he knows knows nothing, and he's inviting her in, into the blessing that he she might pursue it. If only you'd known, which is a hint that you should you should try to get it. And so, uh, what exactly? What exactly is living water? All right, just like that story with Nicodemus, the living water, it has two meanings. The first is is like a very physical, tangible meaning, which means running water, fresh running water straight from a stream. It could be that. And in the context, like, that's a big deal because this well is like... It's, it's water, but it's bottom of the barrel of water, literally. Uh, and then there's the spiritual meaning. Water that is alive. Water that gives life. Think of Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. That God himself says, I am the fountain of living water, that from me comes the water of life. That in fellowship with him, in relationship with him, there's eternal life to be found, there's satisfaction, there is contentment, there is there's nourishment. Living water. And not only that, but that this becomes this, this overarching metaphor and this promise in the future that one day from Jerusalem will flow living water water that cleanses, water that restores, water that is brimming with life and is connected to the Holy Spirit who will change hearts, who will connect people back to God. And who will give them life. New life that they never had before. All right. There's all that weight. And what does the woman say? The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it itself, as did his sons and his livestock. All right. So she sees all this, and she's doubtful. It doesn't seem like you could do that. You don't have a bucket. All right. Kind of missing the point. That's okay. She'll get there. Um, she? She's like, we have, pa- we have a patriarch, which is basically like the forefather of all of this, and he built a well, and we've been living off this well for a really long time. You really think you can do better than that? now we can be we can be blind to spiritual realities and we can think about wow what is the greatest thing that could be offered to me and we think water better water fresher water and that's what this lady sees like she she has she has this plane in front of her and jesus is trying to help her see the the eternal things the spiritual things the forever things. We have to recognize that, like all of us, walk around blind to those blessings. Or we we hear the promises, and what do we see? Like, I don't know if Jesus has a bucket. I don't know if He could really offer me the things that He promises. I don't know if He's really that, that awesome or that great. And all I want is is a nicer life and better stuff and. She's she's blind to these realities. The offers of Christ are, are kind of not very exciting. At best, they are physical, and that's as much as she wants. So he has to help her. And so he gives her this vision of something far greater. He said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he's saying, like, you really don't think I'm greater than Jacob? All Jacob did was give you water that made you thirsty again. I can give you water that's gonna gonna create an eternal spring within you and will keep you from ever being thirsty again. That's better. Even without my bucket. All right, do you do you realize how great a promise this is? Do you realize this is living water. I'm trying to trying to raise the stakes here. There's more out there. Maybe some better stuff that Jesus can give you. All right, one thing to remember. What does Jesus not say? He doesn't say, I can I can make you never thirsty again because I can just remove thirst altogether. He doesn't do that. He doesn't doesn't say, oh, look at you, like, I will will raise you up so you never have any more needs. I'll just take thirst away. You won't be human anymore. You won't be needy anymore. You'll be self-sufficient. Not not exactly. I know that's what we all want. Like, you all want to be, uh, and me too, sorry, included. I think we just want to be so spiritually mature that we can just, like, live without God forever and never sin again. And that is our idea of maturity. That's not what is offered. What is offered is that in our continued neediness, we have a source that would satisfy it and continue to satisfy. It. And such that we would never feel the need again because it is being fulfilled more abundantly than we could ever imagine. That's different. not that you never drink again it's that you're never thirsty again All right so this is a great gift do you feel thirsty do you feel like it like, dry inside do you feel like you you go and 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 drink in the world, and find that you are thirsty again and again and again. That is the offer of living water. No, I know I can end that. Once again, she doesn't see it. All right. So uh, people are hard-hearted. We are hard-hearted. And so, verse 15, the woman said, "Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water." All right, see, she's, she sees a chore that she can check off of her list. All right, I don't, I don't like coming here all the time. It's hot. Yes. Self-cleaning dishes. I will take them. A house that vacuums itself. Like, uh, yes, let's do that. Okay, and so what does Jesus need to do? Uh, he needs to flay her open. He needs to cut her and expose just how dehydrated she really is, just how thirsty she really is, how desperately she needs living water. All right, Jesus is incredibly humble. He's willing to humiliate himself. But he also cuts people to the heart that they might see how much they need him. And so he says, Go call your husband and come here. Right. He is not saying, go, go get your covenant head so that I can go through him. He's not saying, like, oh, like, bring, bring him and we can share. Uh, no, what is he doing? He is showing her the broken cistern in her life. He is showing her the well that doesn't have any water in it, that she keeps going to day after day after day, and that leaves her thirsty. Now the woman... She bristles up she goes cold what does she say no i have no husband she's eager to end this now and jesus said to her you are right in saying i have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband what you have said is true so she is hiding she's used to hiding all of her shame i'm sure but Jesus exposes her. He's been offering this, this well that will not run dry. And he reveals the the dry, broken well in her life her relationships with men. All right, now we have some options here. And not all of them are equal. So it could be It could be that she has had terrible luck with relationships. And that after five husbands, they have all divorced or died. And that she has been left alone. And now, in her despair and desperation, she's now with a man who is not her husband. And that, that is the lone sin. That in her desperation, she's uh, committing sin. Now, it could be also, could be that these were all husbands, in quotes, and that she's had a lot of husbands, no real husbands, which has been the problem. All right, we don't know. We don't know. This one, the like, you've just had a lot of husbands and had bare luck, that's enough to be shameful and be rejected by the community. They don't care. Like, you must have done something really bad. To have killed all your husbands, like, you deserve that. Or to get them all to divorce you, like, you must be a horrible person. All right, that's possible. It could be brokenness that just, like, has left her with only options in sin. All right, some people are, are, are broken and have suffered. And it is revealed that their cisterns are broken. As much as they've tried not to be bad, you've still run after something that has left you dry and weary and broken. And you need something better. Now other people, they have run after sin hard, and it has broken them. And they have gotten exactly what God promised they would get. They would get death. And they get loneliness and sorrow. In the end, we don't know which one it is, but we know our own hearts and we know which one we've run after. And I have to ask, okay, like, what wells have you run to thinking you're getting water of life and ending up thirsty and dying in the desert? You go again and again and again, and you are thirsty, and you are thirsty, and you are thirsty. Maybe it's the same as this woman, it's sexual sin. Maybe it is materialism, stuff. Maybe it's vanity or pride. People pleasing or glory. All right, you should know. You should know what your cisterns are. Because we have to abandon them. There is a real call to stop going to the cisterns, to stop going to the broken wells, to stop trying to, to, to squeeze water out of the sand. That they cannot satisfy us, that we will not find life there. What is your broken cistern? And how have they left you thirsty? Now. Please don't simply wait for the Holy Spirit to just overwhelm you and make you want to run from your cistern. Like, run from them yourself. Now. This woman, she starts to get it, and she realizes, okay, this is not this is not something about water. This is about worship. This is about love. This is about desires. This is about the things that I pursue. The things in my heart that I long for. But there's a problem for her in that, because even if she, if it's about worship, what does she see? She sees herself. As as far away as you can get from ever being to actually find true satisfaction in worship, because she's totally rejected. She can't go worship God. It's, 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 that, that category isn't available to her. And this is like, oh, you yeah, got just, just go worship and, and truly and as you're supposed to. And she says, what does she say? She says, okay, sir, yes, you know you know who I am. You see, uh, you see how broken I am. You see that I am not able to worship and I'm not going to God. But verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. She's saying like, you can say that, but I'm still a Samaritan woman. And at the end of the day, like I am still really far from the God that you say is right. I don't, I don't live near him. I'm not accepted by the people who run that place. All of my sin distances me from him. I am categorically in the category of people who are not supposed to worship and not allowed to and far from God. And if this is a prophet from Israel, the prophet of the Jews, then he's just going to slam the door in her face anyway. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. He says, you're right, you are far. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The walls are getting broken down. And the powerhouse of Jerusalem and the exclusivity and the The walls that keep you outcasts are being broken down. And there will come a time where it won't matter that you are an outcast. It won't matter that you've committed these sins. It won't matter. You're outside from the spiritual community. All that will matter is that you you are able to worship in spirit and in truth. That the place of worship will be in you. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Saying, I, I yes, I, I understand that that's going to come one day. That I'll be able to worship anywhere, but it'll come when the Messiah comes. It'll come when we have one who, who will break down all those walls. And what does Jesus say? He says, I who am speaking to you, I who speak to you am He. He is the one who removes those barriers. He is the one who draws near to the outcast. He is the one who brings the worship of God into the hearts of his people and who allows them to drink from it. Very tangibly, he will destroy the temple. He will become the true temple and he will dwell within the hearts of his people and he will enable them to stand in his presence day by day, moment by moment, second by second and enjoy fellowship with God and worship him and joy. And he'll be the one who dies on the cross to offer forgiveness for the sins that separate Samaritan woman from the god she longs to worship and he is the one who has died on the cross to allow us outcast for sin rejected and ashamed to second by second moment by moment enjoy fellowship with god and worship at his feet and delight in him he can do that That is how he puts this living water within us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to unite us to our great God, to make real the the death and resurrection on our behalf. All right. Who cares? Who cares? Now, I know that most of you hear this and think, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. It sounds really good. But I actually feel thirsty most of the time anyway, and it doesn't feel like it's working. And I just do the same things, and it's... it's... All right. Why? Why did God make it so that we could fellowship with him anywhere? Why did he make it so the Holy Spirit would dwell in our hearts and rise up for for joy and life? All right. It's so that we might worship. This woman understood that. That she has not been able to worship because she was too far away from God. And now, my my question to you is using this gift, do you worship? Do you drink? Do you drink from the well? Do you, do you access the living water and like actually fill your soul with the, the life that God promises you? Do you pursue it? Or are you perpetually dehydrated and refuse to drink? Or there's the there's the well of life that is God. And worshiping him and delighting in him and pleasing him and and living in him and finding purpose in him and receiving the love and approval from him. But you still go to the same broken wells and broken cisterns and then say, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. Let us drink. Let us drink from living waters let us receive this worship that is offered to us and let us worship and delight in the God who loves us, in the God who has given himself for us, who has humiliated himself for us, who has united himself with outcasts and sinners. Let us go near to the one who draws us near and calls us children and invites us to enjoy the the pleasure of who he is for, for all eternity. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus has come to us who are broken and who have run to, to waters that have left us dry. Father, we should be rejected for rejecting so, so great a God. But you have sent Jesus to, to reconcile us, to bring us close, to bring us back into worship and, and delight. And you are God. We thank you that the forgiveness of sins has been found in Christ, that new life and new worship is offered in him. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, you would cause the... You would well up inside of us and give us life in worshiping you once again. Father, would we drink long from all of the the glorious truths that are found in Christ? And would we never be thirsty again, we pray? In Christ's name.